Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today we're recording episode 108. Before I introduce our guest tonight, I want to introduce my book, which is the same title as this podcast. It's called A Gift from Adversity, and it is available on Amazon. The subtitle of this book is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. This book is about my life and how I overcame these adversities. And this came um, public in 2020, and I've gotten a lot of messages from a lot of people who also unfortunately had experienced these adversities. After I published my book, and I decided to start this podcast last year because I felt that there's more need to talk about these issues. And then not only that, the tools people use to overcome and then a gift that came from it. So let's invite our guest tonight. Hi, thank you so much for coming in, Kylie. Hi, thanks for having me. Great. So can you please tell our audience who you are, your name, where you're coming in from today, and then what you do, and if you have a social media, any website that people can uh, learn more about you. Sure. Uh, my name's Kylie Travers. I'm in, currently in Shell Harbour in Australia, so about an hour south of Sydney. And I do a variety of things. So I have a few businesses, but I do a lot of uh, public speaking, consulting around tourism and finance. And I have a few finance websites uh, across social media. You can find me at Kylie Travers AUS, AUS for Australia, on all platforms. And my website is kylietravers.com.au. What kind of things are on your website? So on my website, uh, we've recently redone it. On the Kylie Travis website, there's predominantly things around um, creating a more abundant life. Um, so based on some of the things that I've done to overcome my adversities and the positive things that have come from it and those sorts of things are very much in line with what your book is about and what you do, which is, yeah, really nice. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming in from Australia. And mm -hmm. I am in the United States. I'm in Massachusetts. So our time zone is very different. But I really appreciate um, you coming in today and then live. Thank you. Sure. So, Kylie, let's dive into the first question, which is the adversity. So can you please tell our audience, what was your adversity? I've had quite a few in the last sort of um, 10 years. So I left an abusive marriage and ended up, uh, I was robbed of everything, including my underwear, and then ended up homeless with my uh, children. They had PTSD, um, autism and ADHD. So we were dealing with a lot at that time. Um, but I managed to sort of deal with that. However, uh, not long after that, I became paralyzed and had level 10 pain, which is pain so intense you black out. So I had that going on for most of um, a year. And then sort of like things got better for a bit. And then um, we together when we finally um, life seemed to be going really well, we ended up being hit by the worst bushfires Australia's ever seen. And then we had a double death overseas and then we got locked down overseas. 
and then repatriated and I had um, two uh, pregnancies back to back that had a lot of health issues. So it's kind of been, you know, tick, tick, tick with a lot of um, adversities over the last sort of few years. It was a lot in a short time period. Yeah. Well, let's dissect a little bit more. Sure. So what was the abusive marriage looked like? So initially um, he came across as a great guy. Like we were both raised um, in a strict religion and that's where we met was like a Bible study type thing. But it was very clear from the wedding night that this marriage was not what I thought it was going to be. Uh, there was a lot of aspects were very, very controlling. Um, and then things escalated after having kids and after I started to um, sort of gain my confidence and that sort of thing again. And so, yeah, eventually I was I had sort of got, gotten enough confidence to go, I'm not dealing with this anymore. And, uh, yeah, I chose to leave. But, yeah, kind of left not knowing what I would do or what would happen from that point. And you mentioned really quickly that you became homeless. How did you become homeless? Yeah, so my daughters and I have been homeless a couple of times um, because of leaving the marriage and that sort of thing. At one point we were living in a garage. Um, at another point we kind of um, were house hopping around, I guess, and couch surfing. And um, there was one weekend that we spent camping that they thought was great, but it was I couldn't afford accommodation, so we were at a free campsite out in the bush. Um, and they still think that weekend was great, but they have no idea that it was because I couldn't afford for us to be anywhere or have a home and couldn't rent anywhere. And, um, yeah, and then um, there was a period of time where I did obviously have a rental in that, but uh, because of stalking from my ex, we couldn't live where, we, where I was paying rent. He also wasn't paying the mortgage on the house that we owned together during our divorce process. So I was paying for that, and so it was just, yeah, a complete mess and unaffordable and we had nowhere safe um, to sort of live. So fortunately we had some friends that we were able to um, sort of crash at their place for a bit. But um, yeah, it sort of was a couple of times throughout that, that sort of time period. And how many kids do you have? I have four now um, plus two um, sort of stepkids overseas. But at the time I had two kids and um, now I have well, they're now 15 and 14, and my youngest two are one and two. So, yeah, big age gaps. <laughs> so you mentioned a little bit about the PTSD part of it, the kids are mm. suffering, and then how's that going? Like like panic attack? and It was it was back then. Like, they're really good now. Um, I made sure they got a lot of therapy, and uh, we did a lot to ensure that um, – yeah, we sort of did all the exercises the therapist suggested and um, really worked on it so that it wouldn't be a problem for life. Um, but, yeah, early on it was panic attacks. Uh, if they thought they smelt his cologne, um, they would freak out that he was going to come. Um, nightmares, um, those sorts of things. So a lot of the, um, yeah, really common ones that you, that you hear about uh, we were dealing with. And my kids were quite young, um, so they didn't quite understand why they were having all those emotions and those bad memories and that sort of thing but yeah they're doing much much better now well and then you said you got paralyzed like a health issue yeah um so that was really random that was um so I left my abusive marriage in 2012 and then um 2015 I turned 30 and a couple of weeks after that uh, I became paralyzed like my back would seize up it was like my muscles would try to crush my spine my legs would 
give way. Um, and yeah, as I said, the pain was so intense, I'd black out. Um, trying to move at times, it was like two rusty cogs trying to turn. So my hips just wouldn't wouldn't work. And it was just, it was excruciating. And they couldn't work out why. Like um, I underwent um, numerous tests. They gave cortisol injections, um, all sorts of stuff. And they couldn't fully work out why at the time um, what was happening. And we've since discovered that it's more of like a stress response. Um, so a couple of years after that, I actually had it happen again. Um, and when it happened the second time, they did some testing and they found that um, the myelin sheath um, was damaged. And they told me at the time that I wouldn't be able to walk again. And I've just gone, um, no, thanks. I don't accept that. Um, I can't. I've got kids. That's it's just not on. And so, um, yeah, it was sort of a bit of a roller coaster. But I have found out if I get too stressed out, um, my back will seize up and I will get that excruciating pain. And there have been times where I can't walk or I can't move because of um yeah, I'm too stressed out. So I, um, I'm very conscious of making sure that I um, look after my mental health, my physical health and, and that sort of thing as a result now. And then what was the last thing that you were talking about after the paralysis? Um, yeah, so I actually, I think I missed a part, but I, um, at the same time, tested positive for the cancer my mother died from. So I had to have a surgery um, for that. Um, sorry, I realised I forgot forgot that part. That was all in the same time. And then a couple of years later, so in um, end of 2019, early 2020, we were traveling full time, my older two and I. And yeah, it was Australia had the worst bushfires we've ever had. Like it was like the whole country was on fire. Um, we got evacuated from that. And then, yeah, we had to go overseas for family deaths. And then we got locked down overseas and, and that sort of thing. So it was all that was all in like four months. Um, the bushfires, the family death, they're being locked down overseas and all of that that was um oh and hit by a cyclone whilst we were locked down overseas too um yeah so it was like bing bang 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 um a lot at, at once but yeah we were able to repatriate safely together as a family so that was the the main thing and sort of got through all of that together as a family so um yeah we have um had a lot i guess yeah yeah that is crazy Are you there? Yes. Oh, um, sorry, it cut out on my end. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, uh, but anyways, um, so um, first of all, I want to ask some issues about domestic violence um, against women and then in abusive relationship in Australia. I don't know what's going on in Australia. I just had a guest from India where domestic violence is really tolerated and there's no punishment uh, for the other party. Um, like forget about restraining order or anything, police not helping. How is it in Australia? How is the understanding of domestic violence and then protection of the victims and the police uh, response and social workers and stuff? How is, how is it? It's, it's improved a lot, but it's still not great. Uh, so when I was going through it, it was terrible um we have on average um one to two women a week die from domestic violence um here so that's um quite a problem and yeah there can be a lot of victim blaming um police like on the night i called the police they took hours 
to get to me. So I had to make him feel safe and pretend everything was okay for hours. And it was um, extremely stressful. And then they took him away and released him after an assessment in the hospital saying, oh, he's fine. Um, so that wasn't, that wasn't great. Uh, the court system was atrocious and very much let him get away with anything and sort of just um, pulling all sorts of tricks. He accused me of different things and I had to have like a full psychiatric assessment that cost thousands and all this sorts of stuff. Um, all of that has changed from what I understand the last few years. It's, um, yeah, not, there's more in place, but it also seems to be increasing drastically as well. Um, so it's a significant problem. So you are mentioning about the system and I was questioning about like, you know, how Australia seems really advantaged, um, mm -hmm. not like the third world. And I'm just surprised to hear sort of like maybe a gender gap or biases and like oh, why, why is it so tolerated and why does it like take so long for court to approve um protection well, we because there's a shortage um there just there weren't enough judges basically the only reason mine got seen when it finally did was because three more judges had been appointed um, so they had the capacity to take on more cases. Otherwise, it probably would have been another 18 months, I was told, of waiting. So that's that's one issue. Um, but also, like, our, our systems, even our welfare system is, in general, pretty good compared to the rest of the world from what I've seen. But things like child support, for example, um, it's very easy for people to sort of dodge paying that. And also, like, if you're wanting to dispute it, um, because, for example, like I knew my ex was earning a lot more um, than what he was claiming and I was asking them, like, if I've got proof, like, what can I do? And they're like, oh, I would have to provide bank statements and all this sort of stuff of my income and my life um, to go along with this application. I'm like, there's a protection order in place, like there's domestic violence here, like that shouldn't, I shouldn't have to reveal that because that will reveal where we live and what we're doing and the times we're doing things because, you know, like there's things that you pay for regularly, you know, like my kids' sports and things like that. And, um, yeah, I couldn't seem to get anywhere with it. And I thought I was shocked that, like, you know, in 2023 there's nothing in place still in those sort of circumstances to protect victims in a country like Australia. Like we have all the technology to be able to do it, but they just, yeah, didn't seem to be able to do much. So I just left it. But, yeah, that that surprised me. I thought we would have been further ahead in terms of dealing with domestic violence, but we're not. Yeah. So you kind of mentioned about the knife that he was holding. Um, was there more like also verbal abuse? Maybe. Oh, yeah, there was all yeah. sorts of abuse. He was only convicted, convicted of assault with a deadly weapon, though. Um, that was the only one that actually went through court and, um, and that sort of thing, because by the time it actually got to court, it was like two years after it all happened and um, there was a lot of other things going on. And they were like, you can either let him plead guilty to these parts and that'll be it. Otherwise, you can go through a full trial and testify and all that sort of stuff. And I just, at that point, didn't have, I guess, the energy or resilience or anything to go through with a full trial. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was for the whole marriage. There was all sorts. I am very sorry to hear this and absolutely 
I can understand. And when you are going through this divorce itself and then abuse, and then you don't even know that you are getting um, into this marriage and then you have children and then you have this biases and um, social pressure that you have to have this perfect life and perfect marriage. And, mm-hmm. you know, you have to kind of pretend, but then when you start to break down to hell and then your children are there as a mom that I, I, I can't even describe how hard it is. Yeah. And the system being sounds like sounded like so broken and yeah. like I don't understand. No. You just you just feel defeated by it in the end and think like what's the point? And I look at all the stuff that my kids missed out on during that time. Like they um were selected by their school to go on a trip to China twice and they didn't get to go because of the court orders in place and the problems he was causing and the fact that we hadn't had custody finalised and all these sorts of stuff. And it's just like 12 kids from their school got to go and they could have been, you know, on that. And I think too, like the stress that I was under and just um, how much money that went to court and paying the lawyers and all that sort of stuff that really should have gone towards the kids. And it's just, yeah, there's so many things that I look at that need to change. But from what I understand, because I I did used to do a lot of work around um, in this area of domestic violence and homelessness, the statistics now are actually worse than what they were like five years ago. It gets getting worse and that's terrifying. Why do you think it's getting worse? Part of it would be because of COVID and everybody being locked down and um, what they've sort of theorised is that people were going out and not seeing each other as much but then when they're like locked in because Australia had the strictest lockdown laws in the world for that Um, time period uh, domestic violence escalated drastically then also we have a huge increase in the cost of living um, way beyond what people can afford anymore Um, we've had more interest rate rises for mortgages this year than ever before in history Um, housing skyrocketed over COVID and that sort of thing and so there's a lot of pressure within families and a lot of people don't know how to manage that pressure and as a result are um yeah sort of lashing out um there's a lot of financial verbal um abuse happening as well as the actual physical abuse and drinking increased during that time as well um and that has sort of led to a lot of those sorts of things as well from what i've read and what i understand that those are the main causes at the moment and women can't leave well not just women like um there are circumstances where it's um any any gender like it can happen to anyone um but there's not enough housing like there's a massive housing shortage affordability shortage um huge wait lists for any sort of help and that sort of thing so people are actually stuck like they've got nowhere to go so they're stuck in the circumstances where they can't there's not a lot that they can do about it or it's extremely difficult if you don't have family or friends or someone that can help you um yeah so i think those are all some of the reasons that it's it's increasing because there's nowhere for people to go yeah that sounds very heartbreaking and i've heard that same thing about domestic violence increase because you know in school say in america if the guidance counselor notices the kids are having a bruise or what like some you know anxiety then they will check in and they are mandated reporters but mm. then 
with the online learning that they can't see those um, evidences and then um, not as like visual. And then parents who are absolutely extremely abusive, they could hide that too. So I think in that sense that I've heard that in America as well, that domestic violence definitely increased during the pandemic because of lack of supervision and monitoring or like, you know, just being able to identify um, even doctors. And then even I have a friend who's dentist and then he said he was trained to even like see some of the structures by looking at the teeth that if they were also the victim of domestic violence as well. Yeah. So, um, well, thank you so much for sharing that. And then I'm very sorry. And then I just want to relate with you and then also, um, express to our audience that when you are in this situation and you have to go to court and you have to deal with this paperwork and it's just a nightmare and it, it's so much pressure and as a mom you feel double pressure or triple pressure to be okay and then um recently i had so much rushes all of my body and they said acute urticaria, acute stress urticaria or something. So basically like whole body, like my body got like covered with rashes. And it's, they said the only reason they can explain is the stress and psychosomatic. So I understand like, you know, sometimes doctor can't even figure out like what's wrong with you physically. Yeah your body simply cannot take it oh yeah yeah from what I understood there's um, a lot of research that's gone into it um, to like women that leave um, domestic violence situations it's not uncommon that they will get cancer or heart issues or some sort of extreme health issue within a couple of years of leaving because your body stores so much stress and then at some point it's like you can't cope with that much going on and like as you said with court and all the stress and all of that I also think that um as mothers, you have more judgment placed on you in comparison to single fathers. Single fathers tend to be praised for being there and doing it all and all that sort of stuff, whereas single mothers tend to be judged like um, like you've done the wrong thing. And it's like so many women I've spoken to that have left and ended up in that situation have said that was that was one of the really hard things to deal with was the judgment from others for assuming that they were, you know, like this worthless single mom basically and it's like well no I was fighting for my life and I left to protect my kids that's you know that takes a lot of strength but yeah the first thing people sort of assume is like yeah single moms are like deadbeats or something and so that stress added on top of trying to fight and you know deal with court and the system and dealing with your ex and whatever else it's it's so much so much I'm surprised that more women don't have like health issues going through it you know like the rash and those sorts of things yeah. So I had a thyroid issue throughout my life. I had a surgery as well. And then later on in my book, I explained as well that it's a, a ch chakra, which is like opening to like speak out and then the voice part of it that like for the longest time, I couldn't even say that um, what my father was doing to me. And it's been just such a, interesting um phenomena that um sometimes it, um, i was told it's called psychosomatic so 
it's manifestation of anxiety and manifestation of this trauma that doctors mm-hmm. can't find it on um, x-rays and, you know, blood work because mm-hmm. it just, your body can't take it and just manifest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's, that's why I had all the paralysis issues and, and that sort of thing, yeah. That's awful. And on top of that, you have to experience leaving the country due to the bushfire. And where where did you have to go? Oh, so the bushfires, we actually left the country because of a double death. Um, so we evacuated um, to from where we were. Um, we evacuated up to my sister's house about three hours away and um, where she was was safe. Um, but it was interesting because where we were located um, had multiple times in that week where it was like um, we couldn't leave. It was too dangerous to actually leave and our only option was going to be to go to the water um, because we were right on the beach. And so it was kind of like a sit and wait and see. And then the fire department was like, all right, you can get out now. There is like a short window if you want to leave leave now so we packed up because I was we were house sitting for a friend and we had her dog and her lizard and that sort of thing threw it all in the car straight up to my sister's and it turns out that within an hour of going through that area the whole thing burnt so not the house that we were in but the way for us to actually get out was all burnt through for like um over 100 kilometers like a really like massive difference um soon after we left so if we didn't leave right when we did um we wouldn't have got out and then we, um, once it, um, a few days later, we were able to go back um, and it was just black, like between my sister's house and where we were, most of it was just burnt, gone. And so that's a three hours at like 100 kilometres an hour distance. That's so like 300 kilometres. I know that's not great for miles, but it's a big distance. <laughs> um, yeah, basically all of it was was burnt. And then um, I think it was like a week later, um, yeah, we found out from the family that um, our family in Vanuatu that um, an aunt and uncle had died within 24 hours of each other. So then we had to fly out, um, fly back to Vanuatu for that. Um, yeah, and this was right before things were starting to lock down. So we weren't aware of how bad it would get. And then um, then we went across to the Solomon Islands. Um, and by the way, like Vanuatu at the time was one of the least developed countries in the world, as was the Solomon Islands. So the Solomon Islands had... Um, is classed as quite a dangerous country. Well, it was um, when we were there, but we we love it and we didn't have any issues. And um, yeah, we've got family that are Solomon Islanders, but it was when we were there um, with family that um, we were on an outer island and the world shut and we got back to the capital and they're like, um, you can't go home. <laughs> we're like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, and then it was a couple of weeks after that when we got a house and set up that um, the country was hit by a cyclone. So it all kind of went do, 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 do. Um, one thing after the other after the other. Um, yeah, it was it was a lot to deal with within a, a matter of months. So yeah. Well, Kylie, thank you so much for sharing all this information. And again, like you are a survivor and you're strong. And I just want to know um, the tools. Let's switch to the second question, which is one of my favorite part of. And the proudest part of the podcast that I started, the the people from all over the world, like including yourself, um, really had shared so much of the tools. Not that's not on 
the manual or book, it's a survivor's tool that they really use to come out of the other side. And I know you have a very great example of that. So can you tell us what are the tools that you use to overcome this adversity that really worked for you? Yeah, so I I did get professional help. I was fortunate that I um, found a great therapist. Um, And having had therapy at different times throughout my life, it's really important that you find one that you match with that has the right skills to deal with whatever it is that you're needing help with because they're not all created equal. Um, That definitely helped. But also a lot of things like um, I took it upon myself to learn as much as I possibly could about um, manifestation, the law of attraction, um, using vision boards. I set very clear goals and tried to sort of visualize and meditate every day on the life that I wanted for my kids and I. And so that then when I would get anxious, um, especially going through court, for example, I could draw on this visual in my head of um, my kids and I on holiday, really happy um, and swimming and diving and and these sorts of things that we enjoy. And because I had that specific visual, anytime I started to feel stressed out, I could draw on it and it made everything a lot easier. So practicing those sorts of things were really important. Um, Journaling. uh, I had a huge issue with um, self-esteem and so I created a list of 100 things that I like about myself. And at first it was basic things like I like that my eyebrows are naturally shaped like this and I don't have to wax them and I like my eyelashes. I like that I'm compassionate, like those sorts of things. Um, and, yeah, but I think the biggest things were having that that visual of the life that I wanted and then doing what I could to um, make that happen. And obviously some days it felt like you're going, you know, two steps forward and getting shoved backwards. But I knew that with these sorts of tools, I would eventually be able to get to the life that I wanted. Oh, and one, I I had um, like affirmations and mantras, obviously. And I actually had some of them printed on a cuff that I would wear. And so when I was really struggling or, you know, all the thoughts were overwhelming and that sort of thing, I had this actual visual reminder on my wrist, um, to sort of help bring me back to a better place so that I could focus on what I needed to do. But yeah, but that said, if I did feel overwhelmed and needed to just cry, uh, I let myself cry. I think too often we try to be too strong and um, yeah, sometimes you just need to let it out. And then what is a wristband thing? How does it look like? Ordered it from Etsy. Um, Yeah. So you can sort of look up um, engravings or engraved bands and, yeah, they can put on whatever it is that you want, um, whatever sort of quote or affirmation or, yeah. And rings too, they can do rings and that sort of thing. So, like, a, um, I know somebody else who has I am enough written on there and I am worthy. Um, yeah, those sorts of things. Yeah. So I like the idea of writing 100 things that you like about mm-hmm. yourself. That was, yeah, that was a, a big task because at the time um, I just, I was struggling with everything. And so I started to pay attention to the compliments people gave me. And instead of, you know, how we tend to dismiss a lot of the time, we'll just be like, oh, thanks. Oh no, like this old dress, no. Or, oh no, it, it was nothing. When really like you bent over backwards to help them or whatever. Um, listening to and accepting those compliments and saying thank you, but also like making a note of them so that I could add them to the list and I started to see some sort of patterns um, 
you know, I often got complimented on um, my smile or like how kind I was or how helpful I was or um, the energy I had, those sorts of things. Um, because, yeah, coming up with the list myself was really, really difficult. But the more I paid attention to what people were saying, um, the easier it was to create this list. And then I kept a copy in my wallet and I took a photo on my phone so that when I was um, feeling less than great, I could refer to it. It was something that was like, you know, this nice list that actually, you know, I am good. I am kind. I am, I am this, especially I think when you're going through the court process, you leave court at times feeling like, well, I guess scum, like there's, you know, you just feel so worthless. They ripped to pieces every part of your, your life. And um, my ex made up a bunch of stuff. And so being able to sort of leave court and go, no, I know that that's not true. And I know that this you know, these things are true. Um, it helped. It helped a lot. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. So my last question is a gift that came from your adversity. So, Heidi, what would you say a gift that came from your adversity? I am definitely more resilient. And um, one of the things I'm really grateful for with all of it is that um I was able to use my story and do a lot of public speaking in that. And we were actually able to raise around 30 million for homelessness and domestic violence. And um, that's something that couldn't have been done um, if I hadn't been through what I'd been through and didn't have um, the option of sort of using it to, to for good and to fundraise and that sort of thing. And it's um, my kids view that as a great example. And so I think it's um, as difficult as it's been. I am definitely a stronger and better person for it all. You just mentioned very casually that you raised thirty million dollars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, because it was it was a variety of events, and I um because I I founded a marketing company um just before I turned thirty and that sort of thing, and so I was doing a lot of speaking and going from homeless to CEO, and I did um, when they do I don't know if they do it in America, but here they do um, sleepouts to raise funds for homelessness, and there's different um you know like balls and galas and those sorts of things and so I was involved in a lot of them um and speaking at them and fundraising through them and um yeah one day I was asked oh how much have you raised and I was like I have no idea and then afterwards I actually added it up and I'm like oh okay um we have raised a lot um yeah and it was it was for charities that I um have been involved in on the back end so I know that the where the money's going as well and I know that it's going like to good purposes yeah that's incredible so my last question before you go um is maybe the advice that you can give for people who might be listening right now especially in the middle of abusive marriage and domestic violence and if you have maybe some good advice for these people who might be listening what is your advice I used a quote um, throughout it all and that was I am not what happened to me I am what I choose to become by Carl Jung and when I was going through the worst of it that's what I sort of clung to and I said it on repeat and I knew that just because this is what's happening in my life right now it doesn't mean that I can't create an amazing life for my kids and I um it's, it's amazing what we can withstand and what we can go through. But what's even more amazing is what we can create on the other side. And so try and find a mantra like that that resonates with you 
and keep it as a reminder and use it when you're really stressed out and think about the life that you want and that it can happen. Can you repeat that mantra again? Yeah, yeah. I am not what happened to me. I am what I choose to become. I'm yeah. what I choose to become. Yeah. yeah. I like that yeah. a lot. I, I really mm -hmm. like it. And I just want to echo you, uh, echo with you about the mantra that you just mentioned, because oftentimes as a survivor of a lot of adversities myself, those things can become like a monster in, in your head. It can occupy you. And then it kind of sidetrack you that you think you are this, you think you're this, you think you're not worthy, you think you don't deserve these good things. And that happens to a lot of children as well who have witnessed domestic violence. And I really like that perspective of separation of what happened to me is not who I am and what I choose to become. I have the power to do so. And every day's choices are important that like, you know, how you take care of yourself, how you take care of others, how you take care of your children. And in the daily life, it's really, really, really hard, um, especially when you had unfortunate experience the domestic violence and then these adversities. But I really love what you said about you are not what happened. Like you, you are not. No. I think too often we do, we start to make that as our identity like as you're saying yeah and we take it on as our identity but it's like no that's something that has happened to you it's not who you are yeah for sure yes and I really couldn't um separate myself from the past and then like you said that I thought these adversities are my identity so mm -hmm. To separate it is almost identity crisis, but then you have to realize that it's not really you and you have the full potential to move forward and you have this strength and resilience that you said that um, within you. Absolutely. I think too, when we have a strong reason for the strength and resilience it's um and we can separate what's happened to what we want it makes a big difference so for me having my kids was a really strong reason to keep going and to make sure that what has happened doesn't define the rest of our lives um but I I don't know if I would have done as well if I didn't have them as my really strong reason why if that makes sense like having having some sort of reason and purpose I think will really help you sort of push past those times when it's really difficult and really help you see that yeah I'm not what happened to me because I'm I am a mother and I am a businesswoman and I am you know so many other things and I am worthy and I do deserve to have the life that I want and this is what I'm going to do to make it happen because that's also what I want for my kids and so really focusing on that yeah I think made a world of difference absolutely well thank you so much again uh for coming mm -hmm. in to a gift from adversity tonight and for you the day and I really can't thank you enough for speaking up and speaking out about um 
especially domestic violence issues, and then educating us about what's going on in your country and bringing the light and issues to forefront so that especially our gen- our children and their children, they don't have to go through the same thing that we should fight more for the women's rights and then what's right and then what's wrong. And it should be clear cut and should be not complicated. It's something some somebody did harm to you, they should just apologize and move forward and they should have consequences. But then I have no idea how this gotten so bad where mm-hmm. people can get away from it. So I hope this podcast um, can give some empowerment and maybe mm-hmm. some social changes in the future so that we can create a better world. I hope so. <laughs> Well, thank you again. And thank you thank for you. listening, yeah, listeners. And then we have more guests coming um, for uh, Gift from Adversity. Thank you again. Thank you.